Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I like that. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was thinking just watching Pastor David up there. We've kind of reversed some roles, right? Normally he's standing here and I'm standing over there somewhere. But um, anyways, my name is Antonia. As he said, I serve as one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, I'm excited to uh, share the word with you today. We're in our last week of Nehemiah, as uh, Pastor David said. And um, it's been an incredible journey with Nehemiah, learning lessons from his life and, um, and from his time and what God was doing there and uh, a lot that we can bring into our lives as well, right? Um, so uh, I, one of my favorite movies as a kid, uh, being a child of the 90s, uh, was The Lion King. Um, classic, right? Disney animation, uh, the, the golden age as they call it. Um, anyways, but if you've seen it, uh, you know that the story is about Simba, right? This young lion cub who uh, is set to inherit his father's kingdom. And um, he's, he's funny, quirky. He wants to be king. Um, he's excited about that until he gets older. He's not so excited about it when he gets older. But, um, but anyway, so he has adventures and lots of misadventures along the way um, as well, right? But the story is also about his dad, uh, the king that he's supposed to take over for, right? Mufasa. Um, and uh, I just kind of think of him in that, like, deep James Earl Jones uh, tone, right? Uh, but anyways, so, and Mufasa is this, like, big leader, right? He's, he's strong. He's brawny. He's, like, he's the leader of uh, the Pride Lands, as they call them, right? Um, but he's also kind. He's just. He loves his family. He cares for the kingdom, right? And everything is going well under him. Um, and then there's the opposite side uh, of this story, the villain, Scar, right? And he is the opposite of Mufasa in every way. He's uh, kind of lanky. He's a little sickly looking. He's not, um, he definitely did not get, as he says, the lion's share uh, of brute strength. But, um, but he's also power hungry as well, right? And so if you know the story, you know that he hatches this plan to kill Mufasa and Simba so that he can take over. Um, <clears throat> And he kind of halfway succeeds. You know, he ends up uh, killing Mufasa, which, by the way, to this day, I don't know about you, but I skip over that scene um, when I watch it again because it's so horribly traumatic. <laughs> um, but anyways, and so, uh, and then Simba escapes, um, and uh, he kind of goes off and does his own thing for a while, meets some friends. They sing Akuna Matata. It's a great time. Um, until uh, Simba gets a visit from an old friend, right? And he finds out that his uncle, while he's been in power, has uh, just completely devastated his homeland, right? There's no food, there's no water, the whole thing. And so, anyway, so Simba comes back, right? And um, it's interesting to see, as he does, uh, the difference in the kingdom when he comes back, right? So, like, under his dad's rule, that it was a very, like, flourishing place. Like, you can kind of even see, if you remember, in the... Um, in the landscape, it's, you know, there's bright sun and there's animals hopping everywhere and, you know, everybody's happy. It's a, it's a flourishing and healthy time. And then when he comes back, as Scar has been in power, it's the opposite, right? Like there's, uh, there's some dark storm clouds coming. Um, the land looks like a desert. It's desolate. There's no food uh, and no animals. It's just a wasteland, essentially, right? Um, anyways, 
Again, if you know the story, you know that Simba defeats him and takes his rightful place as king and things return to a healthy place. But what I think is interesting is the even in the like actual uh, physical representation of the land that you see, you see the difference in the leadership, right? Um, and that's really the, the biggest difference between them. Um, and so obviously this is a completely fictitious story, um, but... I think it represents a very, uh, tr- very um, powerful truth, really, that leaders can influence the atmosphere and the culture around them, right? And so um, we've all been around someone or, or knew someone who has seen uh, bad examples of leadership, difficult examples of leadership, and good examples of leadership, um, and how they either positively or they neg- negatively affect uh, the atmosphere around them, right? And the truth is, is that many of us, well, many of us, all of us are leaders um, in one capacity or another, right? We are leaders in our homes. We're leaders at work. um, We're leaders in our spheres of influence. And the truth is, if we're called to lead something, then that means we're influencing someone, right? There's someone that we are leading, someone that we are influencing. And if you're like me, um, you want that example to be one that's a good one, right? Like, you don't want to just set any example, um, but you want it to be the best kind. And we know that following examples is, uh, is what we do in life, right? Like we're influenced by the people that we grew up with. We're influenced by culture um, and things around us. We're influenced by the people around us in our lives today. Um, and uh, whether we realize it or not, maybe some days you have realized it because you have a good friend and you ended up matching them and you didn't even plan it and things happen like that. Um, But regardless, we influence people around us and we are influenced by them as well. And uh, this story of Nehemiah and the people of Judah, we're in chapter five this week, and um, they have had some really terrible examples of leadership. Um, So examples of leadership that literally left their city in ruins, right? And so this is why Nehemiah is placed in the position that he's in right now um, by the Lord, is that so he can not only rebuild the city, yes, but he's also called to actually rebuild them as a people um, spiritually as well. So, and like we said, the Persian government was uh, really, really just terrible, incredibly greedy, selfish people. Um, they were taxing their people so far beyond their means that the people had to actually like mortgage their um, their homes, their fields, um, anything that they could, and actually in some cases sold their children into slavery just to survive in their lives in this place and time. And there was also famine, and so they were very oppressed um, and uh, very poor. And Nehemiah's position was so pivotal for them because this is what they needed. They needed good leadership. They had so much lack that they were experiencing, but actually the greatest lack that they had was good leadership. Um, And so, so leaders who lead by example are first motivated to action. And at this time, a lot of people were taking out Um, They were taking out loans, right, to pay for what they needed to pay for. And so in the Jewish culture, loans were actually something where if it was between a Jew and a Jew, uh, they would be interest-free because they believed that it was honoring to God um, to not charge their fellow Jews interest, right? Um, And so Nehemiah becomes aware in this chapter 
<clears throat> becomes aware that some of the Jewish official, officials um, are actually charging interest to their fellow Jews, and he's very enraged by that because he knows that it's something that's not honoring to the Lord and to their culture. And so, so in verse 6, we pick it up, and he says, When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. And after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. So Nehemiah confronts these nobles and these officials, and he kind of just calls them out. says, listen, what you're doing is wrong for so many reasons, um, but we need to put a stop to it. And so, um, and so thankfully, they, they listen and they return what they've, um, what they've taken from the people. But I want us, what I want us to see here is that um, this really shows us, like, the motivations that Nehemiah had as a leader, right? Like, he was moved by compassion um, for his people, um, but also his love and his honor for God. And that's what compelled him forward to do something about this, right? Um, we talked about a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason was sharing with us um, that we shouldn't just stop at the emotion of compassion, but actually let it move us forward into action. And that's what, that's where Nehemiah is at. You know, he sees the oppression of his people. He sees what's going on and he's moved to that action because he knows that he's been placed in that position to do it, right? Um, so it's important for us as leaders and as people to have that compassion, but it's better to let it move us forward into action. All right, so leaders who lead by example are motivated by action and they're also positioned to serve. Let's pick up back up in the text in verse 14. It says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. Also, I devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from the other lands. The provisions I paid for uh, each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And yet every 10 days, and Every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people had already carried a heavy burden. Remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. Um, so Nehemiah reminds me a little bit of another character uh, in, in history, in folklore. Um, and you may know him. His name is Robin Hood. Um, he's got that tagline that says he robs the rich to feed the poor. Um, but he reminds me of Nehemiah just a little bit because, uh, you know, he's kind of this, he was a noble, he's turned to an outlaw, and he's trying to bring back and give back to his people, right, what's been taken from them. Um, and depending on what version you may have seen, there's so many out there right now, um, but depending on what version you may have seen, Robin Hood has these, like, just, just kind of, you know, they're, they're serious moments. He's, like, fighting with King's Men or whatever he's doing. But they're actually kind of funny as well because he's got these, like, hilarious quips, you know, that he's just kind of, like, handing back to them. And um, anyway, so I kind of pictured Nehemiah like this a little bit, even though he probably, probably didn't have those funny moments um, with the Persian government like Robin Hood would have. And he certainly didn't 
uh, rob the rich to feed the poor. Um, but he shares that, that same compassion and that um, feeling of love for his people and that responsibility to need to do something about it and to give back to them. And so um, Nehemiah and his brothers, they actually lended people money themselves out of their own pockets um, to help them pay for their taxes and feed them and all of these things. And uh, Nehemiah positioned himself in a place to be able to serve his people where they needed it, you know. Um, And he knew that God had placed him in that position to do what he was doing, to deliver the people, to, um, to bring justice to places where there needed to be justice. Um, and to take care of them. But I think he also positioned himself there um, to be a servant in that time and in that place. You know, he wasn't there to serve himself um, or to create a name for himself. He put himself in a position to serve God and to serve his people. And um, because of his position and because of his authority, Nehemiah could have really easily thought very highly of himself at the time. You know, he had a lot of influence. He had a lot of wealth. Um, and the people that were, you know, kind of his, like, his peers um, in, um, in the Persian government were all like that. <laughs> um, or at least from what we can tell, they were greedy, selfish. Um, they took advantage of people. And one of the ways that they did that was actually the food allowance that Nehemiah talks about in these verses And what that is, really, is that as the governor um, and his household, they're given by the government this kind of, like, allowance of food because they're expected to entertain all of these different officials and foreign dignitaries um, and basically just, you know, have dinner parties every day. That was part of their job. And so they would be given this food allotment um, to provide for that. Um, which was a lot, you know. Nehemiah says there were 150 people at his table. Can you even imagine having 150 people at your dinner table? Oh, my goodness. That is like, that's a small event. That is not a dinner party. I don't know what they were thinking, but, um, but this was typical for the Persian government. This is what they did, right? And, um, and his peers were leading this lifestyle, and they were certainly not doing what Nehemiah was doing. They were not providing for their people. They were not caring for them. They were living for themselves. And I think Nehemiah could have easily done the same. But he didn't because he was different. Because he loved God, because he honored him. Um, And he could have taken advantage of the people. He really could have. It would have been easy for him to do that. But instead of lording his position over them, he used his position in a way to position himself to serve and to love his people the way that he knew the Lord wanted him to. And as leaders, you know, I think, well, and as people, we've seen leaders who uh, are more interested in exercising their authority, right, than in leading and loving their people well. And at some point, probably all of us have felt taken advantage of by a leader in power. Um, But I will tell you that not everybody has felt loved and served by a leader. And that's important. Um, That's actually our job as leaders is to serve um, and not to lord over people. And so um, as a staff, we've been reading this book together on leadership by Chad Veach. Um, it's a wonderful book, and he has this quote on serving. And he says, a greater title or a bigger sphere of influence simply gives you more power to serve. In other words, leadership greatness isn't in the power you have over people, but in the power with which you serve them. 
Yeah. So being a great leader is actually the releasing of servanthood. It's not of power, right? That's not what we're given it for. And when you position yourself to love and to serve the people in your life, you're going to stand out to them. You're going to be the one who is different in their lives, the person who was there for them or the person that took time with them, the person that was kind to them um, when nobody else was. And that's a really uh, beautiful and a pivotal thing for people to have in their lives, you know. And you become that example of a good leader. And that's what we're called to do. So, so leaders who lead by example are motivated by action. They're positioned to serve. And third, they are ready to follow. Ultimately, leading by example is leading from the heart of a follower, which is kind of funny. It kind of flips that, that thought in our minds maybe about what leaders are. But good leaders are ultimately good followers. And Nehemiah led the way that he did because he was following the way that God had laid out for him. Um, he tells us in verse 15, you know, because I feared God, I did not act that way. And he didn't follow just any example in his life. He didn't follow the examples of people who had come before him, um, but he followed the example that God had laid out before him. Because who we follow determines how we lead, right? It matters who we follow because we do what we see. Whether we realize it or not, we imitate people and we're influenced by them, right? And that's not necessarily always a bad thing. I think it can be a really good thing if it's the right example. Um, and so when it comes to leadership, it's the same. You know, you don't want to just follow anybody. That's important. You want to know who they are. You want to know what you're, uh, what you're modeling yourself after. But the good news is, is that we really have the best example of a leader to follow. And his name is Jesus, right? We sang this morning. Um, and, and Nehemiah knew that. That's what he did. He followed his creator as he um, as he went along in his life of leadership. And so even Jesus was a follower. Um, in John 5, verse 19, he says, So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. And then you will be truly astonished. Mm. So Jesus followed his father, right, in everything that he did. That's what he's saying here. And everything that he did and in every place that he did, he was actually also a follower. And, um, and that's what we're called to do is follow Jesus as he follows his father, right? Um, and I think that some leaders think that being a leader means that you don't have to be a follower, that it means that they are the ones that always uh, are the leaders and the forerunners, and they're not following anybody, you know? Um, but actually, and I think this can be attributed to our culture in part because we have such a, like, um, negative connotation on being a follower. Um, you know, we have uh, these cliches that say, like, don't follow the crowd. You know, you need to stand out. You need to do your own thing and whatever, which is good um, in some sense because, again, like we said, you don't want to follow just anybody. You don't want to just model your life after anybody who comes along. But it doesn't mean that being a follower isn't a place of authority. Um, because Jesus, even in following his father, he knew that it was going to lead him to places where he was going to need to lay down his power and his authority. But it didn't mean that he had any less of it, right? 
we saw his power and authority in a different way, in a way where he laid it down to be a servant and to come for his people. Um, and he really showed us what that, um, what true authority looks like. Um, and he also taught others to go and to make more followers, right? That's what he did with his disciples, um, and not for a number's sake, but to pass on what he had given them. And that's what he does for us, too. He asks us to go and to create more followers. And that's, the, that's discipleship, right? Like, that's something that's so near and dear to our hearts here at Trinity is discipleship. And, um, and you can see it on our, you know, our, our discipleship pathway out there, our come and see Jesus and connect and be you and commit and lead others. That's all about following Jesus and teaching others to do the same, right? That's our mission. That's what we're given to do. Um, but the point of all of it really is that it all reveals Jesus and who he is. I'm going to call up the band, uh, and we're going to sing worship. Or we're going to sing worship. We're going to sing together in a moment. Um, but before we do, here's what I don't want you to hear this morning. I don't want you to hear, do better, be better, be the perfect example, um, because that's not that's not true leadership. That might, be, um, that might be something that we feel in our hearts. That might be something that culture tells us, but that's not what true leadership is, at least human leadership. Um, because the only perfect leader that has existed or ever will exist is Jesus, right? None of us are ever going to be perfect. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and she was telling me about... Um, the situation that she had with her family, and um, and she said to me, Nia, my whole life, I've always felt like I had to be a good example. I felt always felt like I I had to be a better example for my siblings, and I couldn't mess up, and I couldn't um, make mistakes even as a kid because I had to be better for them. And she said that's carried into my adult life now, to where I feel like I have to be the example. I have to be perfect in what I do, and otherwise I don't receive you know, the love that I, that, I, that I feel that I need. And she said that to me, and I just thought to myself, like, I wonder, I wonder how many of us feel that way. You know, I wonder how many of us as people or um, in leadership feel that we need to be perfect in order to be an example. And maybe we don't even admit that to ourselves sometimes. Maybe we don't think, like, oh, I need to be perfect. But in how we act and in what we do and in how we think of ourselves and how we condemn ourselves, there is that mentality of perfectionism um, that's weaved into what we do. And, um, but that's not a, what being an example means in the kingdom of God. That's not expectations that God has ever laid upon us. Because being an example is not being perfect. It's not never making mistakes. Um, because if it were about being a perfect example, we would not have the word of God, right? Like we would not see all these incredible men and women of the faith that did so many amazing things for God. But you know what? They weren't perfect, not one of them. The only one that ever was was Jesus. Um, and so it's very easy to hold unrealistic expectations of ourselves, I think, when we have that mindset because... Um, because it's, it's been ingrained, you know, in many places and in many, um, in many things that we've encountered. But number one, that's exhausting for us, right? That's exhausting to keep up all the time. And number two, it's discouraging for others because it communicates this comparison, you know, or this, like, perfect image 
of us as people or as leaders, that's just never going to exist this side of heaven. It's never going to exist. And it's something that people can't measure up to. But ultimately, the best thing about that is that it's not the gospel, right? Like the gospel is that Jesus, who was perfect, who is perfect, came and died for those who were imperfect. That's us. Um, that they would know that they're loved beyond the brokenness of this world, in spite of it. And um, as leaders and followers of Jesus, we do hold ourselves to different standards, right? We talked about how Nehemiah was different. We are too, but we don't hold ourselves to the standards that we lay on ourselves. We hold ourselves to the standards that God gives us, Um and when you think about it, I feel, like, I feel like those come into two categories. Number one, receiving his love for us. Just receiving it. Not earning it, nothing else attached to it. Just receiving it. Um, and number two, following in his steps. Following what he says and who he is and what he does. Following him. True leadership is not about being perfect. But here's what it is. It's pointing to the one who is perfect. Um, and it's showing others how great he is and who he is and how no one compares to him. It's not about putting the, the um, spotlight on ourselves, but it's actually just pointing it back at Jesus and saying, look at him. I'm not perfect, but look who is. He's the best. He's the greatest example that you could ever see. Um, and so today, maybe you feel like my friend did. Maybe you feel like there is this kind of underlying um, underlying mindset of perfectionism that kind of just infiltrates into different things in your life, you know? Um, a lot of us are there. A lot of us are there. And I think and believe that Jesus wants to bring freedom to that today. We were singing earlier about how there's freedom in his name. There's freedom from all of that today. Um, or maybe you feel like um, maybe you feel like he's impressing upon your heart that you need more compassion and humility for the people that you're loving and serving around you. Maybe you feel like, God, I just need a bigger heart for the people around me. I need, I need that love that you have for them. I need my heart to, to break for what, uh, what breaks yours. I need to feel that compassion even more. He has that for you today too. And maybe you're coming from a different place. Maybe you're confident in, uh, in your identity in the Lord and what he's calling to you to in this season. But you know what? Maybe he's calling you to a new level of leadership. Maybe there's a new place that he wants you to step up and serve and love people. So this morning, I just want us to take a couple of minutes um, and just let the band play. And then we're going to go back into worship. But let's just take a couple of minutes and just listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, I really believe that he just has some really great things for us this morning. I believe that he has freedom um, for our hearts and our minds. Um, I believe that he has peace. I believe that he has um, a, new, a new level for some of us. And so let's just take a minute and just receive from him. Just open your heart and posture it just to receive from Jesus this morning. And then we'll worship together. <laughs> 